It's Tuesday, April 21st, 2020, and the president has reached a deal with Congress. I'm Sean Ramos and This is your coronavirus update from Today Explained. Congressional leaders and President Trump are shaking on a $500 billion relief package that will replenish the Paycheck Protection Program, which provides loans to small businesses. The package also funds hospitals and coronavirus testing around the country. President Trump's solution to the pandemic sounds a lot like his solution to everything else. Close the borders. He announced the plan last night on Twitter, where all grown-ups announced their plans, writing that, in light of the attack from the invisible enemy, as well as the need to protect the jobs of our great American citizens, I will be signing an executive order to temporarily suspend immigration into the United States. It's worth remembering that the United States has more confirmed cases of COVID-19 than any other country on earth. That hasn't stopped the governor of Georgia from promising to open up some businesses by Friday of this week, including gyms, salons, bowling alleys, and tattoo parlors, just the super dangerous stuff. Meanwhile, the mayor of Atlanta is urging residents to stay at home, and an infectious disease specialist at Emory University's School of Medicine in Atlanta said opening up a section of the country is like having a peeing section in a swimming pool. Hong Kong reported no new infections for the first time since early March on Monday, but still announced an extension of social distancing measures today. They're going to keep gyms, bars, and playgrounds closed through early May and maintain a ban on public gatherings of more than four. Italy's looking to ease its lockdown in early May. The country's north was hit hardest, but now the south is suffering. Italy's prime minister promised to proceed with caution. And the price of oil has gone negative. I don't traffic in oil. I ride a bike, so I looked up what that means in the New York Times and learned that if you happen to be in the position to accept delivery of a 1,000 barrels of oil in Oklahoma next month, you could have been paid $37,000 to do so. That's how much demand for oil has fallen. There's way too much to go around and storage is running out. President Trump today said we will never let the great U.S. oil and gas industry down. He said that on Twitter, in case you're wondering. Today Explained will try and never let you down. Keep us honest. Email todayexplained at vox.com or tweet at us. We're at today underscore explained. I'm at Ramos Verm. Or you can call us at 202-688-5944 and leave us a message on our listener voicemail line. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. A few weeks ago, I talked to a doctor who was working different emergency rooms in New York City. He talked a bit about his day-to-day, but we mostly focused on the fact that he didn't have the proper personal protective equipment at his disposal. He kept reusing the same N95 mask. We've heard a lot from doctors during this crisis, and rightly so, but there are a lot of healthcare workers who aren't doctors who are still out there risking their lives every day, and on today's show, you're going to hear from them directly. No interviews, no questions, just a nurse, a physician's assistant, and a paramedic walking us through 
a day in their lives. The day was Friday, April 10th. My name is Katie. I'm a registered nurse in a pediatric intensive care unit in New York City. It's about 6.35 in the morning, and I am just arriving at work to start my day. Working as a critical care nurse in an ICU, we are used to seeing critically ill patients. However, I don't think anything could have really prepared us for what we are seeing now during this pandemic. Thankfully, children have been largely spared from getting critically ill. That said, our pediatric intensive care unit has now been turned into an adult ICU. That's kind of flipped our world upside down. Many of us don't even have adult ICU experience. And now we are treating some of the sickest patients I've ever seen. And they're all adults. Patients are having to wait in the emergency room for ICU beds. And then once they are finally admitted to us, they get so sick so quickly. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people say it's almost like falling off a cliff. A lot of these patients present and they look like, you know, they're going to maybe do okay. And then all of a sudden you have to rapidly intubate them. They are requiring, you know, ventilators, not just for a few days, but for weeks at a time. And then the effects of everything that follows, many of them go into kidney failure and multi-system organ failure. I think the hardest part about this is when we go in to see a patient, everything except our eyes are covered. And even then we have a face shield on. Not one part of our skin is exposed. And these patients are alone. And that is really the hardest part is that we are sometimes the last person that they see in this life. You know, you want to hold their hand and you want to hug them and let them know that they are not alone and let their family know that you were there to provide that human touch. And that's one thing we can't do. A lot of times the units are so busy because we have so many patients that it's really hard to keep families updated as much as they should. And it's just torture for them to sit at home and have to wait for a phone call. You know, and oftentimes it's once a day, once a day, a doctor will call and update them on their family member status. And it's just painful to think about the number of people that are alone. Just yesterday, there was a patient that last week, many of us thought would not survive. He is a young man, and he was one of the sickest patients that I had ever taken care of. And yesterday, we were able to take the breathing tube out, and he was able to look at us and talk to us. And at that moment, I think everybody in the entire room just broke down in tears. And this poor young man looked at us, not quite understanding what had just happened to him. But knowing that he made it through this gave us so much hope. It's moments like that that really carry us through. On that note, it's about 10 minutes before my shift starts. <laughs> My name is Kira Bandari, and I'm a physician assistant in the hematology department. 
Uh, I'm actually in the parking structure right outside work right now. One small blessing of working in the time of COVID for anyone that has lived in L.A. or visited L.A., you know, the traffic is really as bad as they say it is. There has been no traffic (laughs) since the start of the lockdown. So my commute to and from work, and I'm sure all of my colleagues would agree, has been just fabulous. So that has been one small blessing. So I'm in the hematology department, but one sector of that is the bone marrow transplant team. Patients are incredibly vulnerable after that procedure. So vulnerable that we have actually decided to put off a lot of our transplants. There's just been so much concern about what the COVID would look like here. Um, Would we have enough blood product? Would we have enough platelet? Would we have the things that we need? You know, those patients can get really sick and need ICU, need ventilators. We've been wanting to save that for the potential COVID surge here in LA. And so the biggest change to my department has been sort of the negotiating of I mean, literally life and death for some patients in deciding, okay, if we put off this transplant for this leukemia patient another three months, are we going to be able to keep that leukemia at bay long enough to take them to transplant after this is all over? And when will it all be over? About two or three weeks ago at the hospital, we stopped allowing visitors of any kind, you know, family. We had been making some exceptions for end of life and Unfortunately, uh, in the last week or so, we've really had to really clamp it down. At this point, walking into the hospital, I'm going to have my temperature taken, take a short survey. I'll get a little green sticker that says I'm allowed to be there in addition to my special badge, which says I'm allowed to even be on campus right now. Especially in a cancer ward, as you can imagine, Having family, friends, and visitors is super important. You know, some patients that are here getting chemotherapy, they might be in for an entire month getting chemotherapy. And because of COVID and because of the no visitors, they're not allowed to leave the room. They're not allowed to walk to the garden. They're really not seeing any other people. One of the toughest cases was a a young man a few weeks ago who uh, had a very aggressive form of blood cancer. And he was in his 20s and wasn't going to make it very long. He had a young child at home, three or four month old, and his wife, and I don't think she really understood the extent of how sick he had gotten because she had not been able to see him during his hospitalization. And we had to have a discussion with the palliative care team and the doctors and the nurses and his wife over FaceTime, um, you know, sort of holding the iPad up to him and talking about his death, essentially, in this really strange sort of robotic way. Um, Meanwhile, everyone who's in the room trying to connect with him and talk to him is wearing masks and some form of protective gear. You know, conversations like that, uh, they're not supposed to go that way. To be honest, I'm doing pretty well. I think it's kind of nice to have a purpose in this climate. Um, (laughs) uh, My friends are, a lot of them are at home working and I know they're struggling. You know, they want to help. At least I get to see folks every day. I get to come in and take care of my patients and and know that I'm, you know, I'm ready to be deployed to go do other things. And that being said, I'm probably running late, so I'm going to run into work. But that's been my morning check-in. My name is Chris Root. I'm a paramedic in New York City. It is 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. And I just arrived at the hospital to start a 16-hour shift. I'll be responding to 911 calls until 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. You know, on a typical day before the pandemic, uh, as a paramedic, you can normally expect like a little bit of downtime. Now, it's pretty much nonstop. It just takes so much longer to do every call. Because you get on scene and you have to put on all the PPE... And you have to get upstairs, 
you have to assess the patient, you have to get to the hospital, you have to turn the patient over, you have to take off all your PPE, you have to clean the ambulance from top to bottom. Just everything is slower and more difficult now. I work uh, in a neighborhood with a lot of old buildings, a lot of walk-up apartments with no elevators, and doing a five-floor walk-up with 50 pounds of equipment is not easy on a good day. And if the patient is unconscious or too ill to walk, we have to then carry them back down five flights of stairs. But now doing all of that in PPE, wearing an impermeable gown and two pairs of gloves and goggles and an N95 mask, it's just brutal. And you just feel so drained at the end of a shift. Over the past few weeks, I feel like I've seen the acuity of what we're responding to change almost shift by shift. Just the patients are getting sicker every shift. On my last shift, I pronounced three people dead in three hours. The volume of death that we're being exposed to on a daily basis is so much higher than anything we've seen before. My family worries about me constantly. My girlfriend is scared when I leave for work. I text her throughout the shift so she knows I'm okay. I bought my own respirator a week ago uh, so that I would have something in case our stockpiles ran out and she burst into tears when she saw me trying it on. After the break, an end-of-day check-in from Katie, Kira, and Chris. Portrait Che Explained comes from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you like spy thrillers or indeed Elizabeth Moss, then you might want to check out FX's The Veil. It's an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. Oh, I'll go. One woman has a secret, same here, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. 
With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. My name is Katie. I'm a registered nurse in a pediatric intensive care unit in New York City. I am just sitting in my car getting ready to leave work after what was a very busy, uh, I guess now 13-hour shift. We're back with the stars of the show, three healthcare workers in their own words. Chris, he's a paramedic. Kira, a physician's assistant. And Katie, who's a nurse. Today, I didn't really get a lunch break. Uh, Most people didn't get a lunch break. We have a little room in the center of our unit. And whenever you were able to have a moment, you just snuck in, ate a granola bar, drank some water, uh, did whatever you needed to do to get through these 13 hours. Pretty much every patient on our unit is COVID positive. All of them are requiring ventilators. Some patients need to be turned over onto their belly to help with their oxygen saturations. We've had many successes with sending patients to the floor after successful extubations. However, now one patient leaves and one more comes. Needless to say, I'm utterly exhausted, and I will be going back tomorrow. So it will be (laughs) a few hours of sleep and then back again for another day. Physically, it's really taxing taking care of these patients. Mentally, you worry about doing the very best you can for that patient. But then you start to worry, what if I get this? What if this becomes me? What if this becomes my parents or my husband or my brother or sister? Or what if this becomes my coworkers? We like to think that we're taking the best possible precautions. However, with reusing masks and with the virus spreading as easily and quickly as it does, it's a big question mark a lot of the times. I worry about how this will change not only myself, but my colleagues. Every single day we are giving everything we have. And I worry that some may burn out. I worry that some may decide they can't do this anymore. I worry that sometimes I may not be able to do this in the future because it is just so draining. Yet every day we wake up and we go to work and we do the very best we can and we're all we're all hanging on, but sometimes it feels like we're hanging on by a string. My name is Kira Bandari. I'm a physician assistant in the hematology department. Basically what, what's been going on, at least at this hospital here in Los Angeles, is just a day-to-day switching of the rules and of the game plan. And we still don't really know what's coming. I think that's been the strangest part. I mean, we had a meeting a few weeks ago uh, when we were afraid we might have a shortage of PPE, which right now we were okay, but again, we don't know. We had even talked about purchasing motorcycle helmets. Um, so at least we have proper face and head protection to protect both the patients and ourselves. So um, we really have trying to think outside the box and, and prepare for this the best that we can. 
the rules of the game are changing every single day. You know, one day it's wear this kind of mask in this room and then throw it out. And the next day it's wear this mask and wear it all day and don't take it off and don't get a new one. And I'm so impressed and proud to be part of a medical team where, you know, we just get our marching orders in the morning and we're all trying to do our best to sort of adapt and be flexible to respond to this pandemic the best way that we can. Without being too macabre, I think something like this is exactly why I went into medicine and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. It's not that you want bad things to happen, but you want to be the sort of person that can respond when they do. And so I'm ready to help in any way I can, and I'm really happy to be doing it. And I just hope that I can stay healthy enough to keep doing that. I'm not scared myself of getting sick, but, you know, if even if we have an exposure, it can wipe out the whole workforce. So just last week, one of our resident physicians had a positive COVID test, and it meant that all of us had to get tested and basically stay out of work for two or three days, which... One person doing that is fine, but four or five people doing that on a team is catastrophic, as you can imagine. So I think that's what everyone is most worried about. It's about not necessarily us getting sick, but us having an exposure that means that we can't come into work and do the job that we need to do. My name is Chris Root. I'm a paramedic in New York City. I just got into my car after my double shift overnight. It is about 8.15 in the morning. I've been at work for a little over 17 hours. Something that we're seeing a lot of, we're seeing patients who are really far along into having significant heart attacks and strokes who waited at home with their symptoms for hours because they're afraid to go to the emergency room because the emergency room is full of patients with COVID. I feel really, really tired. I was supposed to get off at 7 a.m., but we got an assignment at 6.45, and an assignment typically takes about an hour minimum to turn around by the time you get to the scene and assess the patient and treat the patient and then turn them over in the emergency room. So now it's an hour and 15 minutes after my shift was supposed to end and I get to go home. First thing I do when I get home, I take my boots off outside. I walk directly to the laundry hamper, take off my uniform. I don't uh, touch my girlfriend or her dog until I've taken a long shower. I'm really looking forward to taking a shower right now after 17 hours at work. The pandemic has definitely made me feel differently about being a paramedic. I've never felt like the work was so important as it is right now, but I've also never been so scared. Being a paramedic, I've been in dangerous situations before with violent patients and on active crime scenes and things like that, but There's something that's so much scarier about this invisible threat waiting for you behind every door. Thanks to Katie, Kira, and Chris for making time to speak with Jillian Weinberger and Noam Hassenfeld from the Today Explained team. And thanks for listening.